Pretty much every episode of Scooby-Doo ended that way, didn't it? With Velma kind of walking everybody through the clues that led the gang to the capture of the bad guy, and there'd be some kind of reveal, usually taking off the mask, and then the bad guy would say, and it would have worked if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Not exactly Sherlock Holmes, is it? And in fact, in real police work, uh, that wouldn't work. You can't just walk through clues and say, there's the bad guy. You actually have to come up with evidence that can be used in a court of law. And the basic principle behind the science of uh, forensics that uh, was established by a guy named Edward Lockhart in France about 100 years ago, he's sometimes referred to as the Sherlock Holmes of France, this is what is actually used for the establishment of evidence that works in court. Uh, Lockhart's exchange principle says that when a criminal is going into a crime scene, they will bring something with them into the crime scene, they will take something with them out of the crime scene, and both of those things can be used as evidence. So, for example, you're trying to rob a bank or break into a house, and maybe you break some glass, and maybe that cuts your skin, or it cuts your fabric, and you leave uh, sort of remnants behind. Maybe you leave fingerprints or footprints, or you take whatever it is you take with you. All of that stuff can be used as evidence. And, and of course, I think that makes sense. There's a phrase that kind of sums up Lockhart's exchange principle, and I want us to say this out loud together. It's on the screen. Uh, read this with me. Every contact leaves a trace. One more time. Every contact leaves a trace. So maybe some of you are here for the first time. Uh, you're exploring faith. You thought you'd maybe check out hope. You're not quite sure what you think about uh, Jesus, the Bible, that sort of thing. And now you're wondering, what in the world does Scooby-Doo and Sherlock Holmes and forensic science have to do with Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're in the middle of a message series called Here We Stand. It's leading us up to the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And one of the ways of talking about the Reformation is to say Luther took a look at all the evidence around him. Martin Luther, this Catholic priest, took a look at the evidence around him that the church was corrupt, that faith had gone off the rails, and that all of a sudden it was all about what we have to do, what people have to do in order to kind of appease the gods and, and make God happy happy, rather than faith being about what God has done for us in this invitation that God gives to the whole world uh, into an incredible life-giving relationship with God and with others. And so 500 years ago, Luther started this movement. It reformed the church. It absolutely changed the history of the world. And a big part of what the Reformation is all about is Luther just says, let's get back to the basics. What is the core? What's at the heart? What's, what's the centrality of our faith? Faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, scripture alone. One time somebody asked Jesus, you know, what's the greatest of all the commandments? We got all these things and Jesus just kind of simplified things, brought it back to the basics. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. Now, last week we started looking at the Ten Commandments. We'll continue that look this week. But the Ten Commandments, you can categorize them into those two ideas. Some of the commandments are about loving God. We looked at those last week. This week we'll look at the commands that talk about loving our neighbor. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet other people or their stuff. This is going to help us become people who love our neighbors well when we're following these commands. And I would suggest these commands have everything to do with Lockhart's exchange principle. 
Uh, there's a guy named John Sutherland. He's been on the London uh, Metropolitan Police Force for over 25 years. And he gives a TED Talk where he talks about Lockhart's exchange principle. He says there's a lot that's changed over the 25 years that he's been on the force. A lot that's changed in society, a lot that has changed in culture, a lot has changed in terms of how they do police work. But he says as much as things have changed, the most important things have stayed the same. Take a look. And when it comes to the things that really matter, I'm not sure that anything has really changed at all. The job is still to save lives, to find the lost, to comfort the brokenhearted, to defend the vulnerable, and to confront the dangerous. Sometimes even to risk it all, because every contact leaves a trace. But if you think about it a little more, it seems to me that Lockhart's principle has an application that goes beyond simply the investigation of crime. It has an application for every kind of human relationship and interaction. Every time two people come into contact with one another, an exchange takes place. Whether between lifelong friends or passing strangers, we encourage or we ignore. We hold out a hand or we withdraw it. We walk towards or we walk away. We bless or we curse. We love or we hate. And every single contact leaves a trace. The way that we treat and regard one another matters. It really matters. And in an increasingly uncertain and often frightening world, it might even be the thing that matters most of all. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? What's the thing that matters most of all? Love God, Love your neighbor, because every contact leaves a trace. Started our look at the Ten Commandments last week, and Eli introduced us to this idea that, yes, it's okay to look at and interpret the commandments as thou shalt nots, but more importantly, this is God doing a vision-casting speech when he gives the commandments. The people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They're on their way to this new life of freedom in the promised land. And God's casting a vision. What is that life going to be like? What's it going to mean for us to live together as God's people in relationship with God and relationship with others? And that's what the commandments are all, all about. Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus does the same thing. He's always casting this vision. Follow me into life in the kingdom of God. Let's read this verse together. Matthew 4, 17, it's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, that doesn't necessarily seem like a vision-casting statement at first glance, but I absolutely believe it is. And part of the reason I believe it is is because most of the time we misinterpret what Jesus is, is talking about here, and let's dig into that for a little bit. So Matthew chapter 4 is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. You turn the page to Matthew chapter 5, and it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is, again, talking about what does life look like in the kingdom of God. He's always going around saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, and follow me into the kingdom of God. What does that look like? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And it's, it's kind of a reinterpretation of the Ten Commandments. Jesus will say things like, you have heard it said. Don't murder, but I say anger is the same as murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say lust is the same thing. And Jesus takes the commandments, and he, instead of lowering the bar, lowering the standard, he raises the bar, raises the standard. At one point, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. (laughs) How's that going for you? My, My favorite team, NFL team, is the Kansas City Chiefs, and their first game of the year they had to play the New England Patriots, the bad, bad New England Patriots, right? Led by a defending Super Bowl champion, led by future Hall of Famer quarterback Tom Brady, coach Bill Belichick, and a lot of people in the offseason are talking about how great the Patriots are. They have a chance for a perfect season. They might go undefeated. And the Chiefs beat them on opening game. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> so... It's hard to be perfect, whether you're a sports team or a human being. It's hard to be perfect. And a big part of what Luther is, is addressing is this warped understanding of perfection that was making its way into the church. So um, the Reformation starts when Luther tacks the 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, and the first thesis says this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he's looking at the same verse, Luther's looking at the same verse we just looked at from Matthew 4, he, Jesus, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. For Luther, the Christian life is all about repentance, which doesn't necessarily feel exciting or good to us, but a big part of the reason why it doesn't feel good is we misunderstand repentance. In our day we do, and in uh, Luther's day they did. Luther's day, repentance was almost always equated with paying penance. So when you're not perfect, you got to go to the church, you got to go to the priest, you confess your sins, and then the priest will tell you, here's what you need to do. Pray this prayer, do this good deed, give this money to someone, maybe even to the priest, and now God will forgive you. And so Luther says, eh, that's kind of missing the point. He went back to the scripture. What was it that Jesus actually said? In the original Greek, repentance is this Greek word, metanoeo, and it literally means to change one's mind. Change one's mind. The Apostle Paul uses a form of this word in Romans 12 when he writes, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transform is where we get our word metamorphosis, this process where a caterpillar is changed and becomes a butterfly. And so what Jesus is talking about when he talks about repenting for the kingdom of God is near is there's this plan that God has to change us, to transform us, to help us go from the old person into a new person, a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. How does that happen? Through the process of repentance. And one, it leads to one of the big contributions that Luther makes to theology. He, he distinguishes between law and gospel. And I think we do this a lot, but we always just assume, well, when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the Old Testament. That's where all the commands are. Gospel is New Testament. That's where Jesus is. That's where grace is. That's the distinction. For Luther, it was much deeper than that. And that was, in fact, kind of missing the point. Luther could see the gospel in the Old Testament. He could see the law in the New Testament. And so here's his distinction. For Luther, the law reveals a righteousness God demands from us. 
So God casts this vision. Here's what life is supposed to be like in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. It's a righteousness God desires or God demands from us. And of course, we fall short. We're not perfect. We can't live up to God's glorious standard. That's where the gospel comes in. We can't save ourselves by the law, but the gospel is what saves us. The gospel reveals a righteousness God bestows upon us or a righteousness God gives to us. In other words, um, Luther would say this, this righteousness is an alien righteousness. God has it, but human beings don't. We, it has to be given to us from God. And Luther says that happens, as he interprets Scripture, it's not just Luther, it's Scripture, that happens through faith in what Jesus has done, through his life, death, and resurrection. We get God's righteousness, and that's what saves us. So I cannot try really, 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 really hard to be perfect. I mean, I can, but I'll fail. And the same is true for you. But when I repent... When I acknowledge the ways I fall short, when I confess it and ask God to help me, God shows up. God makes contact. And this is one of the things we see all throughout Scripture. Sometimes people will say, I don't know. I, I, I want to believe in God, but I need some proof. I need some evidence. I was reading about Bill Gates. Uh, someone was asking him what What's faith, what's spirituality like for him? He's like, I'm not necessarily a religious person, he said, but when I look at the universe, it seems far too complex to just have sort of happened by accident or by chance. It seemed like there needs to be a grand designer, maybe a God, but I'm not sure what religion I would follow. We recite the Apostles' Creed around here on a pretty regular basis. One of the reasons why is because we always remind ourselves what we believe in God as a creator, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. When we look at creation, we're seeing evidence. We're seeing fingerprints of God. A couple of people from Hope Ankeny have been out in the Grand Tetons this week on like a photo safari. Carolyn Marsh is one of them. She took this picture. Carolyn often serves here up in the production booth running PowerPoint for me on the weekend. What does creation do for you when you see a beautiful sunset or sunrise? Mountains, valleys, oceans, rivers, forests. You're looking at the fingerprints of God. When's the last time you held a newborn baby and thought about all the things that had to go right in order for this life to happen? You're looking at the fingerprints of God. When you read through the stories of the Old Testament where God shows up in the lives of people like Abraham, Moses, David, Rahab, Esther, Ruth, Daniel, Isaiah, God makes contact and every contact leaves a trace. The primary way that God makes contact with human beings is through his son, Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles, if you would, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus gives this invitation and this description, what life is like in the kingdom of God, and then he spends a lot of time demonstrating what it actually looks like, starting in chapter 8, right after the Sermon on the Mount ends. Verse 1, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down from the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And we see this all over the place in the Gospels. A little later on in Matthew 8, verse 14, he goes to the home of Peter's mother-in-law, and she's sick. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Turn the page to Matthew chapter 9. 
Down in verse 18, there's a story of this woman who's in the middle of a crowd that's following Jesus around as he continues to cast this vision for life in the kingdom of God. And she's sick and she believes, if I can make my way through the crowd and just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I'll be healed. And it happens. Verse 27, there's a couple of uh, blind men, two blind men. Jesus is passing by. And it says, then Jesus touched their eyes. And he said, because of your faith, it will happen and they're able to see. Again, this happens in all sorts of ways, all over the place in the Gospels. I want to read one more, and let's read this one together. The end of Matthew 14. It's up on the screen. Read this out loud with me. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Every contact leaves a trace. And, and sometimes the the change that happens when people make contact with Jesus is a physical change, a, a healing that takes place. But sometimes the healing is a spiritual healing. Sometimes it's a character change. It happened in Jesus' day. It happened to people like Matthew, right? He's a despised tax collector until he comes into contact with Jesus, and that contact changed everything for Matthew. It happened to Zacchaeus, another tax collector. His whole life was focused on greed until he comes into contact with Jesus, and he becomes outrageously generous. It happens to the Apostle Paul, and it continues to happen today. There are men and women in this church who have stories of coming in contact with Jesus in a way that absolutely changes things for them, changes their marriage, changes their job, changes their whole outlook on life, have experienced physical healings because of the power of prayer. How about you? Do, do you have a story of coming in contact with Jesus in a way that changed things for you, for your family? It's rally weekend here at Hope. And we're starting some new classes and new opportunities for children and students and adults and new ways to serve and opportunities for getting connected and growing in all sorts of ways. Everything we do at this church, we do because we think, hey, that is a good way for people to make contact with Jesus, and that's going to change things for them. If it's true that every contact leaves a trace, then there's a question that would be a good question for us to ask ourselves on a pretty regular basis. It's this question. Am I putting myself in position to come in contact with Jesus? Am I putting myself in position to come in contact with Jesus? Now, from a purely theological standpoint, this question is nonsensical. Let's just get that out of the way first. Bible is absolutely clear. We can never be out of the presence of God. The psalm writer says, if I go to the mountains, you're there. If I go to the depths, you are there. Where can I go from your spirit? Answer, nowhere. God's always with us. It's not like I'm saying, oh, I'm in a place where God is not. I should reposition myself to be in a place where God is. That's not the heart of this question. The heart of this question is kind of similar to the song that uh, the band sang for us during the offering. Set my heart. Set my heart on you. Is your heart set on the things of faith? Is that your priority? Is that your primary desire? Are you noticing, are you aware of God's presence in your life all the time? Maybe this clip from a movie, Collateral, will help you think about it better than I'm explaining it. This is... Um, Jamie Foxx, he's a taxi driver in L.A., and he picks up a, a passenger to drive around town. It's Tom Cruise. And they have a conversation about all the people that live in that town, but you don't even know them. You're sometimes not even aware of their presence. Take a look. 
Okay, so it's not the most uplifting scene. <laughs> but I think it makes a good point. Our, our theme this year at Hope is to know and to be known. To know and to be known because we're recognizing that for a lot of people, there's this kind of reality that they're living their life, they got people in their lives, but there's this sense that they don't really know anybody, that they're not known by anybody, that nobody notices. And so we've decided to spend this year focusing in on how do we build healthier relationships with God and with the people in our life. And so when we ask this question, am I putting myself in position to make contact with Jesus? This is about intentionality. Do I really believe the very best way to live, the very best life comes when I decide to be a follower of Jesus, to shape my life around his life? Jesus casts this vision, he, he gives all of this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. It's not just hearing what Jesus has to say or reading what he has to say, it's putting it into practice. What are you building your house on? Are you putting yourself in position to make contact with Jesus so that Jesus can change you, transform you. You can become the kind of person you know deep down you really want to be. The more we come in contact with Jesus, the more this transformation process takes place. One of the things that changes is we start to see our neighbor the way Jesus sees our neighbor. And Jesus really sees people. If you start reading through the Gospels looking for this, it's amazing how many times it'll say, Jesus saw somebody. Jesus looked at somebody. Jesus, nobody went unnoticed when Jesus was around. And I think that leads to a question that's important for us to ask as well. Am I noticing the people in my life? Am I noticing the people around me? Uh, Thursday is sermon writing day for me, so I was working on this message, and I was uh, here at church, and I was leaving to go get some lunch, and as I was leaving, a minivan was pulling in, and it was full of special needs adults, and I thought, oh no, they're here for the cupboard, our uh, emergency food pantry, they came to get some food, but it's Thursday and the cupboard's on Tuesday. But when they got out of the car, it was clear they weren't here for the cupboard, they had sack lunches with them, they were just here to eat lunch. And I, I realized, I've seen them before, they just come in, uh, and they sit in the tables right below me here in the harbor, and they, they eat their sack lunches. And so I was like, oh, I'm so glad that our church is such an open and welcoming place. People feel like they can just have their lunch hour here. That's great. And I went to get my lunch hour here, uh, get, get my lunch, and I came back, and they had finished eating, but they didn't leave. They went into the cupboard, and they started going to work. And they were taking the food that we gather, and they were sorting it and putting it into bags so that it can be distributed this Tuesday to people who need it. And I thought myself... Um, here's God just kind of giving me a face slap again, right? You, you just don't get it, Scott. They've been coming here for months, and I hadn't noticed. I hadn't stopped to pay attention to get to know them. I thought they were coming so that the church could help them. They were coming so they could help the church. So I went into the cupboard to say hi, to shake hands, to introduce myself. And before I could say anything, one of the women reached out her hand to me to, to make contact, to shake my hand. Her name is Allison. And you could just see the pride and the joy on her face to know she was helping out in that sort of way. And I typically miss it. I don't even notice. And it makes me wonder, what else am I not noticing? Are you noticing the people around you? 
elementary kids, uh, middle school kids, high school kids. What's lunch hour like at your school? How many of your classmates go unnoticed every lunch hour? And it's the worst part of their day because they don't have anybody to sit by. They, they don't think anybody sees them or knows them or notices. What if you got intentional with your friends? Just basic human kindness to look for the people who are being overlooked and to love your neighbor well. There's an amazing thing about this church. Is you guys are always doing things that I would never think of doing. Do you know there's a group of people in this church, they go around every once in a while to the laundromats in town on a Saturday. They just show up with some quarters and some detergent and they just want to help however they can help. A week ago Saturday, it was a group of men from our Friday morning men's group. They went to the laundromats last Saturday. And $200 a quarters and the uh, fabric softener and everything, and they're just, how can we help? How can we love our neighbor? Monday was Labor Day. Tuesday, uh, we had school. And so I was walking my daughter Saffron to the bus, and I always have a conversation with our bus driver while we do that. And he said, hey, I saw some of the guys from your church at the laundromat on Saturday. And he went on and on and on about how great he thought that was, how kind, how important he thought that was. He noticed that you noticed, and you made an effort, an action, to love your neighbor. It matters. It's a reminder to me, every human contact that we make, it's an, it's an opportunity to benefit the coming of God's kingdom on earth, or it's an opportunity to be a detriment to the coming of God's kingdom on earth. Every contact leaves a trace, whether the contact is a good contact or a negative contact. John Sutherland, the London police officer in that video, uh, one of the things he talks about in the video, he calls it the painful privilege of policing. The painful privilege of policing is that you get to see the brokenness in the world. Broken homes, broken lives, broken dreams, the Bible tells the story of a world that is broken and a God who is at work rebuilding, repairing what has been broken. Think about Luther's distinction between law and gospel. One of the things the law does is it shows us the role that we have in the brokenness of this world. That every time we don't follow the commands, when we covet, when we get angry, when we hate, when we steal, and when we lie, when we cheat, we add our fingerprints to the fracturing of society. But the gospel gives us hope. No matter how broken our lives might be, no matter how broken this world might get, the gospel gives us hope that there's a God who's at work who has the power to rebuild it. One of the amazing things to me is you watch the coverage of the hurricanes and you see all the devastation and the destruction that's happening and right away people are like, now it's time to rebuild. That's just, and we're going to gather together. We're going to do it in community. We're going to do it as neighbors. And so thank you to all of you who have already given and, and supported that. And as we watch Irma do its work, uh, we know there's going to be ongoing relief work and support and rebuilding that's necessary. Think about Jesus. He sees the brokenness and the destruction in this world, and Jesus makes a decision to do something about it. He came to rebuild, to build his kingdom here. And in one of the strangest choices ever, he decides to allow his church to be a part of that process. Jesus could do it all by himself. He has the power to do that. But he chooses to build his kingdom through you and through me. I want us to read this verse together. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Read it out loud with me. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Don't just listen to what Jesus says. Don't just talk about what Jesus says. Live it out. The gospel is God's power at work in you to live it out, to make a difference, to bring about change. And it happens in all sorts of ways. John Sutherland, 25 years on the London Metropolitan Police Force, seeing all the brokenness in the world, and it left a trace on him, more than a trace. It it led to a breakdown in his life. And so part of what he talks about in his TED Talk is how his life is being rebuilt after some of the brokenness that he experienced. And it's being rebuilt when you listen It's really clear, and if you Google him and see what he's doing, it becomes even more clear. It's being rebuilt by God's grace. It's being rebuilt by his neighbors who are loving him well. Take a look. And last of all, three personal things. The first of those is faith. The religion that I'd grown up with failed me. But a small fragment of faith remained. I've begun to discover something of the mystery of grace. The rumor that I'm loved beyond measure, just as I am. Secondly, friends, both at work and at home, who loved me and walked alongside me until I was able to walk on my own again. And thirdly, family particularly my three girls and my extraordinary wife who's sitting over there. She's called Bear. And she was the harbor wall to whom I lashed my little boat. And she stayed strong and true. I suppose it really was love that saved me, which is possibly not the first thing you'd expect to hear a police officer say. But in this increasingly uncertain world, What is it that we can have confidence in? Maybe love is all we need. Between friends and strangers, between lovers and foes, between neighborhoods and nations. The way that we regard and treat one another matters. It really matters. And every contact leaves a trace. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. So Lord, we pause right now and think about the contact that we have made with our neighbors in the last 24 hours, in the last week. Hopefully some of that contact has been good and uplifting, but we confess that there is some contact that hurts, that tears down that destroys and we confess that to you and we ask uh, your forgiveness we repent and we ask that your grace would be at work helping us to become people who are living changed lives in your name that you would move us from darkness to light that you would move us from death to life that you would move us from despair to hope Lord if there are any of us who feel like we are in a tomb and there's no way out, we pray that your grace, your goodness, your son Jesus Christ would bust us out of that tomb and into your glorious day. In Jesus' name, amen.